Hello, welcome to episode 120 of Herpetological Highlights, the podcast all about reptile and amphibian science. My name is Tom Major and co-hosting with me as per usual is Ben Marshall. And in this 120th installation of the podcast, we've got a classic every other week we do a species of the bi-week. So we'll be talking about a brand new species which has been described. Won't say too much about that. It's a sort of shiny, wet one. Wait, no, it isn't. What am I talking about? I mean, it, it's shiny, I guess. It's shiny, it it's not wet. wet. <laughs> I read the first paragraph of the paper and I thought it was a frog. And then I realised later on when they started talking about like the family and stuff, that it's not a frog. So that's just a holdover confusion. It's... What a yeah. roller coaster that paper must have been for you. It was pretty wild, yeah. I was like, well, quite a tale for a frog. <laughs> but yeah, so we're going to talk about a brand new described species later on. But before that, we've got a really cool paper that's come out all about the horns of vipers and why they have them, whether or not there's sort of particular things that can determine whether or not vipers have horns. And uh, yeah, really cool, thorough paper. So the paper we're going to do is by Bichau and Boissonnet, 2022, Habitat Determines Convergent Evolution of Cephalic Horns in Vipers, published in the Biological Journal of the Linnaean Society. Mm-hmm. So... We're talking about vipers, the group of venomous snakes. We're also talking about snakes with horns. Although, Ben, I realised that they're not actually horns that snakes have. Because horns are, what, like, akin to... They're like fingernails slash hair for mammals, and these are keratinized protuberances yeah, from the scale much, yeah. I mean like it's a, it's a different structure and um, I don't know what, what fingernails and stuff are made out of is that keratin too? it is keratin though right? Okay. fingernails I think so so but, yeah. similar underlying chemicals involved but coming from a different source I suppose yeah well the definition of a horn is a hard permanent outgrowth often curved and pointed found in pairs on the heads of cattle sheep goats giraffes etc and consisting of a core of bone encased in keratinized ah, skin and these guys so, are lacking the bone exactly so the horn on the snake is actually just scales it's either many scales arranged in the kind of shape of a horn or just one big scale that's horn shaped and they're actually all soft if you poke them they're like flexible so they're <laughs> not truly horns. nicely to poke it in near the eye or nose <laughs> if yeah doesn't seem like the wisest idea it's the most difficult place on a viper to poke and it's the only place on one of these you'd want to poke because they are soft. They are all soft. I have it on good authority that all of these appendages are soft. But obviously referring to them as sort of horn-like cephalic appendages is kind of a pain. Don't really want to do that. So we're just going to refer to them as horns. But as long as everyone knows, they're not true horns, but they're horns. And many of these snakes have names to do with the horns that they have. So um, we've got the sort of horn viper as we'll talk about in a bit. But um Snakes with horns are vipers. There are others. There are a few other snakes with horns and sort of random appendages and stuff like yeah. tentacled snakes. There's some weird vine snakes out there. I mean, I think the the, the weirdest is, what is it, Langahar? Is that how you pronounce it? The, yeah, the Madagascan one that's got this weird twig-like tube tube nose thing going yeah. on. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's what jumps to mind when I think of the ones on the nose. Yeah, but they're most common in vipers for sure. And uh, vipers, you know, they're generally ambush predators with quite low metabolic rates. They tend to sit and wait, hidden for food to come by, and then they use their venom to 
immobilize the prey once it comes past. Some will let go of the prey and then seek it out, like the rattlesnakes we were talking about recently. Other ones will just bite, hold on, and not let go. And they're a really successful group, the vipers. They've colonized every continent on the Earth, except for Australia and Antarctica. All of the venomous snakes that look like vipers in Australia are, in fact, elapids that have kind of convergently evolved to look similar, you know, like death adders. That's still a pretty good one-up for the vipers, because it proves that that body shape and sort of ecological niche way of living is damn effective. Yeah. Almost wherever you are. Even snakes in Australia have evolved to kind of, you know, mimic you. And what right. is it? Mimicry well, is the greatest. It's not mimic, but yeah, it, it's... Yeah, it's not mimic. Coming to the same solution independently is still a pretty good confirmation that that's a decent solution to yeah. said problem. I was only calling it mimicry because I wanted to say that mimicry is the greatest form of flattery. Ah, wow. Yeah. So the Death Adders are kind of paying vipers worldwide a big compliment by it. That's assuming that the vipers came first too. Yeah, that's very true. I suspect they did, but... I would suspect yeah. they did too, but I cannot confirm. No, I can't confirm either. So yeah, we've got snakes with horns. Vipers with horns have evolved in Asia, the Americas, Europe, and Africa. Obviously quite disparate places. And although they're all related, that is a big spread to sort of have horns popping up on snakes. And obviously some of the coolest snakes out there have horns. Some of the ones they pictured in this paper, the Chinese moccasin or the hundred paste viper from Asia, which is Dinag kistrodon acutus. And you'll remember, Ben, that that scientific name, Dinag kistrodon acutus, acutus, we had that very recently with the American crocodile, which is Crocodilus acutus. Ah, which means it's acute crocodile. That's what you said last time. <laughs> yeah, it's because I've got a very limited mind. <laughs> It's pointy. It's because it's pointy and it actually refers to the nose being pointy because the 100 paced viper has a horn on its nose. An acute angled horn. Yes. And there's also the kind of aptly named nose horned viper, which is one of the European ones, Vipera amidites. And of course, rhinoceros viper, Bitis rhinoceros from West Africa, which also has the horn like a rhinoceros. And looking at these pictures in the paper, Ben, is there a particular snake which is your favourite? With horns? Oh, I mean, I do the bittest ones in particular because of just how over the top they are. I mean, yeah. bittest rhinoceros. Like, it's, it's just in got the bits name. everywhere. It's yeah. just full on. And yeah. I like that one because it's not just one horn. It's like you can see there's just sort of little protuberances all over it. <laughs> there is one yeah. big horn, which is obviously like the sort of the hero, but it's also got like little chunks on all over his head. But then, like things like things like Bitters Cordalis too, so they've got little horns over the eyes, like very like demon-like horns over the eyes. It's incredibly endearing. So I, I don't know. One of the Bitterses or Bitai Bitterses is, yeah, for sure, just because of how like properly horn-like the horns look. Yeah, they just don't look like they fit on a snake. It's such a weird contrast, such a weird amalgamation. I know, and they do look hard, but I have it on good authority yeah. they're, they're not. All the snakes we've talked about so far have been ones with nose horns. That's one type of horn. The other type of horn is the horns over the eyes. So that's things like Atheris serratifera, which is like an East African viper. And the really famous one, which is actually my favorite snake ever, the eyelash pit viper Bothriacus schlegli from Central oh, South America. Yeah. Classic, beautiful guys. snake. Yeah. Super, super, super cool. So yeah, there's these two kind of broad types of horns. You've either got horns on the nose or horns over the eyes. Or both. And 
Or both. Are there yep. snakes with both? Who's got both? Are there snakes with both? I don't think there are snakes with both, mate. Nine taxa have both nasal and ocular characters. So there's like, <laughs> the way they are dealing with this is, where do you cut off a snake? <laughs> Weird way of putting it. But what? like, if it's got big eyebrows, are those ocular protuberances are those actual like ocular horns or are they just very big eyebrows and it can be quite hard to like how much of an eyebrow needs to be sticking out for it to become a horn versus not so Mm. they have two different classifications one that's quite strict and one that's more general and with the more general one there are nine taxa that have both aspects now, whether it, you, I, would, you would call it having both, then, you know, <laughs> that's up to you. But uh, for the purposes of this, they do consider some. Okay, cool. But what are they? What are they? Yeah, what are the snakes with both? I want to know now. because There's only 59 in general that have one or the other. So we're talking, like, huge number of vipers, and you've only got 59 to actually work with. The ones that have both, do they say them anywhere? Hmm. I don't remember seeing it. Both characters, purple in their big diagram. Yeah, let me have oh. a look. We've oh, here got I can see. Tremerosaurus borniensis. We've got Tremerosaurus, what does that say? Warotti. Uh, Tremerosaurus punisius. And we've got a couple up the top. A couple of, well, your Bophoriacus that you just mentioned is one that's classed as having both. Do Really? Mm-hmm. And uh, Bophoriacus uh, supraciliaris. I suppose they've got like, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it was like a horn though. It's sort of like, it is a bit of a chunk though. It's right, sort of, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's only got the both when you consider them as having those characters as opposed to like really, really obvious horns. So, I mean, this is alluded to at the very beginning. This is quite a thorough paper. They did two sets of analyses, one using this quite strict definition of horns and one using a broader one. And as far as I understand it, they largely agree. So it's not a problem. Easy. Nice and easy. Yeah, I can see that they've got two types of horns. So, yeah, you've kind of mentioned they had 263 species of viper, which there is actually 68% of all known vipers were included in their um, horns analysis. Yeah, 35 species with horns. And they looked at which habitats they were inhabiting. So they're interested in, okay, we've got vipers with horns here. Is there somewhere specific that these vipers live, like a specific habitat type? 50, that tie- sorry, I'm, I'm going to derail you. You said 55? 35. Okay, 35 for the strict definition, 59 for the more general. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, yeah. I think I was focusing on the strict analysis, to be honest, what I was looking. But regardless, they looked at a bunch of vipers and they wanted to see if there was this relationship between the habitat they are living in and what sort of... Basically, has the habitat caused these horns to evolve? Is it like beneficial for some reason to have a specific type of association? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we've asked this very question on the podcast in previous episodes because we've talked about these snakes with these horns and we've sort of chatted about possible reasons for them happening. And I don't think there was ever really something super satisfying. You know, I don't think we even had, certainly we weren't aware of papers that were adding them, you know, summing them up and, and summarizing them to habitat or diet or to anything. I mean, this is just vipers. So there is still... You know, there are non-vipers with weird protuberances. But I don't know. I feel like this is a super fascinating study because we sort of asked this question ourselves through just looking at these snakes. You're like, why do they have these hilarious horns? I know, yeah. Well, I think... (laughs) They don't look right. They feel like they're a mammalian characteristic or something. I know that's that's not really a sensible thing to say because you think of... We were talking about Jackson's chameleons last time with their 
horns and you they're very obvious what those horns are for they're for male male combat i don't think yep. that's the case with snakes but <laughs> no not no, just I can't a mammal see thing. the horns having really much of a use in combat for snakes but yeah i mean i think it's just one of those things where you look at you know 99% of snakes and they don't have a horn and you see one that does and they're so striking and characterful and i think a lot of people you speak to you ask them, you know, at least in my the circles I move in, I'm like, what's your favourite snake? And uh, so often it's one of these horned ones. I think vipers are popular anyway, but I think the the sort of character that's added to a snake with the addition of horns means that these snakes are popular. And yeah, it's yeah. only natural that people are kind of wondering, like, why do they have the horns? And I think, to be honest, we'll talk about some of the potential reasons that these horns have evolved. But there's not really a... That's kind not of yet. a little bit of a step further than this study goes. This study's like, as you said, more just tying... Uh, is there like a sort of, well, first of all, they did a big genetic analysis. Is there like a phylogenetic yeah. thing going on with the horns? And then also, is there a particular habitat type that is associated with different types of horns? And going into this, because vipers are ambush foraging and they need to blend in with their environment, they're basically just hiding and hoping that something won't see them and then they can eat it. They expected to see a significant correlation. So a relationship between having horns and the habitat they lived in. But they were not expecting to see a relationship between whether or not the snake had horns and the prey that they eat, simply because most ambush foraging snakes are not really too fussed about what they eat. If it's the right size and it comes past, they'll eat it. So they didn't expect to see a relationship between prey and horns. Yeah, I mean, there's a sort of complicated interaction there, isn't there? Like if you said you had a viper that lived in marshland predominantly you might expect it to take a higher percentage of frogs and then if it also had horns and you're like okay well is it having horns because it lives in marshland or is it having horns because it's connected to eating frogs and frogs have a hard time recognizing a snake that has horns in marshland you know you these things all interact in awkward ways yeah they do go into that in the paper it's quite dense to sort of unpick those interactions interactions are always really hard to not just model to begin with they're very data hungry in most cases but they're quite hard to then reinterpret in succinct ways shall we say yeah yeah yes yeah yeah you're right it's sort of like it could be you could have horns because frogs can't see horns you could just have horns because it lets you i don't know do something in the marsh exactly right but that said, they did actually manage to find a correlation between the evolution of specific horn types and the different habitats that these snakes are found in, which is quite exciting. There is a definite correlation there. And the first thing they picked out was that these snakes that have nasal horns, so horns on the end of the nose, they're actually associated with forest habitats and particularly living on the forest floor. Yeah, that's the kicker, terrestrial forest habitats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And quite strikingly so, actually. That was a really clear difference between the ocular and the uh, nasal uh, yeah. vipers. And so let's just talk about the forest floor snakes who have horns and some of the reasons why the authors think that this might have evolved to be the case. The number one thing that they mention is that this pointy nose, it just simply breaks up the outline of the snake, the snake's head. Because mm-hmm. a lot of things are looking for a snake head, be it predator or prey. Well, and and we know that's super effective when you look at things that sort of mimic snake heads, like a weird caterpillar that inflates its face to look like a snake head as a means of spooking you. 
you know, they wouldn't bother if it wasn't effective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Although this is kind of, of the thinking. opposite of that because the snakes are trying to hide their heads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it works that way. Things can definitely pick out heads. So they're saying, you know, the fact that it's got this nose horn means that it breaks up the outline of the nose. The nose isn't really nose shaped. It's got a slightly different shape. So at a glance, you might not spot it. And especially if they're hanging around on the floor among leaves and twigs. I mean, a nose horn kind of looks a little bit like a curled leaf. Oh, Maybe that's definitely. Fa- you think com- into it as combined well? with a sort of viper head shape? Mm. And, you know, some of these horns aren't exactly tidy <laughs> either no they can not. be a little bit rough and um rough and ready at times yeah it's not just like a perfectly neat horn in every case right. sometimes it's like a few horns poking out there's like some little ones around it all looks a bit of a mishmash and combined with sort of different coloration too you know yeah so we've got horned nose horned vipers generally found on the forest floor yeah potentially breaking up their outline and then the other group the snakes with eye horns these were associated with a different habitats entirely they were generally found to be living in first of all arboreal environments so they were living in trees or they were living in terrestrial habitats so living on the ground but in areas which were sparsely vegetated you know like um deserts or other areas which had very little vegetation so the pattern they tended to see was that if you've got horns over your eyes you're living either in the trees or in sparsely vegetated areas on the floor and The reasoning behind that, they thought, was that if the snakes are living in areas where there's less stuff to hide amongst, they're going to likely be sitting, waiting in ambush. And what vipers will generally do is just sit in sort of an S position, looking at something in particular where they're hoping a sort of frog or a lizard or a mouse will go past. So when they're doing that, when they're waiting in ambush, because there's not as much vegetation around, they're having to sit a little bit more exposed with less cover. And they think that the eye horn might serve to break up the outline of the head and disguise the eye a little bit better when they're sort of more exposed. Yeah, already said that like this paper, it doesn't show any causality here, but it uh, definitely opens up a lot of questions like that. And I think the extra convincing bit of bit of evidence to back up what you're saying there is that so bitters we were talking about bitters we've got some bitters with uh nose horns we've got some with over the eye ocular horns it doesn't appear to be the case that okay it's all bitters have evolved this horn at some point of time and therefore they all go to the habitat that that works in it feels well you get the impression with what they're describing in this that the horn type is relatively recent and sort of reflexive to that habitat like it's something that can come and go relatively flexibly you know on the species level this isn't like drop a snake in a desert and it will grow massive eyebrows but yeah the bitters one is a great example because you've got these relatively closely related snakes but you've got dramatically different horn what's the right word realizations you know yeah they you know they appear very differently and the only massive difference there seems to be habitat in terms of uh you know predicting that which is yeah super intriguing it really is and you think like it's a wonder no one had really noticed this before well i think it's hard to do on this scale like this is a lot of data this is a lot of snakes and these are very broad habitat categorizations too i'm sure if you were to do this in greater detail you would start picking out the differences between the ones that actually have the horns and the ones that don't have horns at all and things like that Mm. because all these snakes have counterparts that live 
in these places that don't have horns. You know, yeah. I, don't, I, I doubt there's many of these with horns that don't have either species alongside them or that sympatric. There's more going on here than just the broad categorizations for sure. And yeah. if you're thinking that it's quite a high selective pressure, that it's bouncing back and forth on relatively short evolutionary timescales, yeah, what's, <laughs> what's that yeah. final thing they need to actually push them to develop these things? Yeah, and I think there's quite a few people studying this, actually. I think it is actually quite a... Um, it's an area of investigation that seems to be kind of um, coming into its own. Yeah. And you mentioned there that horns have been gained and lost. They did pick out a little bit of that kind of thing during their um, phylogenetic analysis. Yeah. And it is very much a plastic trait having horns like it's coming and going evolutionarily through time they reckon that ocular horns have evolved somewhere in the region of 36 times and been lost 28 times so that's the eye horns and same nasal horns have evolved somewhere around 20 times and been lost back to a sort of intermediate horn horniness uh, on the nose 12 times so yeah it's something which is throughout time kind of coming and going depending on whether or not the snakes are sort of presumably drawing benefit from them and they do mention in the paper you know it could be that that is to do with climate change through geological time basically changing habitat structures and types and the snakes living in them are obligated to change as well if they're going to maximize their chances of survival so that's pretty cool as well i mean it's just one of those things where like you know it's not like there's one common ancestor of vipers that had a horn and then it kind of spawned this right. massive huge radiation of horny vipers Nah, not at all this is something which many many times is evolving independently presumably in response to it being useful to the snakes so i'm sure yeah. there's loads more to find out about this one of the other things they drop right at the very end is that this is they operated all this sort of analysis with you either have a horn or you don't, or you have a horn-like character or you don't. It's binary distinction, and there could be a lot more subtlety in treating that as a continuous variable. It's not whether you have a horn or not, it's horn size relative to head or something along those lines. And mm. there's way more granularity, I suppose, like to dig into here. Mm. And I can't wait for follow-up studies to start digging into the specifics of what could be driving it and even the sort of more subtler things. Yeah, me too. Because there's going to be like population variation. There's going to be all sorts mixed in here. It's going to be great. Yeah, there's going to be population variation. There's probably going to be like a little bit of variation between the sexes. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Let's talk about niche partitioning. Yeah. Yeah, super cool. And honestly, though, like beyond anything else, just having an excuse to sort of gawk at some pictures of vipers with horns is like way worth it um they're just some of the coolest snakes i've always had a soft spot for vipers i love the fact that they by and large do so little i think it's extremely cool that they've kind <laughs> it's of called efficiency yeah they've carved out this niche where it's basically just like stay still unless you absolutely have to wait for things to come to you yeah and yeah these crazy appendages and protuberances i think they're still such a mystery in terms of their function mm. and uh yeah i personally think it's very cool so yeah i'm sure we'll have a cause to talk about viper horns again before too long and maybe not even vipers maybe it'll be colubrids next time like this is the other thing yeah. there's a whole nother swath of snakes with interesting characters that you would assume have similar similar sort of drivers on them i don't know yeah different foraging so could all be different yeah. Cool. All right. Well, from horny snakes to, I mean, I don't know if they're horny or not, lizards. Amesquita daza contreras, orejuela, barrientos, mazariegos, 
and that's it. 2022, this was published. One more and one less. A new species of large Bromelicolus lizard from the Andean cloud forests of northwestern Colombia and the phylogenetic status of Anadia antioquensis. Wow, catchy title, guys. Published in <laughs> Zootaxa. It's always a way with these these taxonomic papers. It's got to be like, functional first, which I appreciate. You know, I do, and I also appreciate they haven't put the name of the new species in the title because that is <laughs> too much of a spoiler. But before we go into this paper in any detail, can I just say they use the word bromelicolus? Oh, wow, a lizard that lives in bromeliads. Yeah, that is yeah. just so cool. And if you don't know what a bromeliad is, it's an epiphytic plant. So it's a plant that grows on another plant, inception plant. And um, yeah, they just sort of sit, they grip onto the tree trunks and they tend to have these like big broad leaves. And animals love them because living on the tree, they sort of catch debris and dirt and leaves that are falling and they form their own little ecosystem. There's usually some yeah, nice moss. Micro yeah. ecosystems, micro worlds like up the tree. Exactly, yeah. and you have like water collecting in the leaves of the bromeliad, which you know, so many frogs and things like that lay their eggs in that, that space. So, yeah, they're just kind of these like little wonders of the forest, and particularly these cloud forests in um, Central America. I mean, just such a cool environment. Yeah, cloud forests, another classic hotbed for undescribed species. We're always visiting the cloud forests in this segment, yeah. and the specific genus that we're talking about is one called anadia which is in the family gymnothalmidae honestly didn't really know anything about either of these things i'm sure we've covered other species from gymnothalmidae but i'd not heard of this genus anadia up until now it had 19 species and apparently it's been taxonomically stable for decades actually these lizards are scarcely observed many of them as we said wow. live in bromeliads yeah. and trees difficult to observe if they're up in the bromeliads like yeah that's a whole operation just to get to them and i feel like exactly. a lot of bromeliads if i'm remembering back to i think we did a covered a study on a bromeliad living frog and trying to work out where it was living what bromeliads it, it liked and I think in that, like the bromeliads itself were a protected species, so they could only take a very limited number of samples, and the way they had to sample was very delicate and controlled, so they didn't harm the bromeliads. Mm. So that's just the sort of thing that makes a lot of these studies more difficult, because that's additional permitting and a difficult, you know, additional training to make sure everything's done right. The plants are precious at the end of the day, yeah, exactly. and you respect that. And these lizards so, know that. <laughs> oh, they know. I mean, they're the whole world to them. So this genus, Anadia, is geographically restricted, right? It's only found in the northern Andes, the Caribbean coastal highlands, and Central America. There's one cheeky one, Anadia escalere, which is in Guyana, but, you know, that's the sort of black sheep of the family. Most of them are further west and north. And the authors of this paper were doing fieldwork in the northwestern cloud forests of the Colombian Andes lucky ducks and they became aware of the existence of an undescribed species of bromelicolus anadia which they first spotted because of its large body size and we're talking high altitude right we're over 2,000 meters above sea level where these lizards are found and um let's talk about it what does it look like this lizard how big is it 10 centimeters svl pretty with much. quite a long tail as well right hugely long tail yeah tails like double that <laughs> long-tailed lizard and i guess that helps it balancing around yeah about nine centimeters svl 20 centimeters tail length can i just make one complaint about this paper where's the picture of the cloud forest <laughs> i can't imagine myself there we've been spoiled this is the thing we've been spoiled the past few species of bi-week have had wonderful habitat uh, sort of establishing shots 
if you wanted to treat it cinematically. Yeah. And um, no, we don't. It really we... takes me there. All we've got here is an insanely large, blown-up image of the right hemi penis. Well, yeah. I mean, we do have some nice shots of lizard uh, sort of hanging off a branch. That's pretty cute. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And they say they do that in captivity. They sort of like hang off twigs on their by their tails. Yeah, this also were like uh, knotted round, so it's looped the tail over a over a branch, and it is holding onto its own tail, sort of knotted, tied on there. Um, what are they called? Oh, what does it look like? It looks like, um, I mean, it's like a sausage. Yeah, like a long sausage with some black spots on the side, tan base colour, white chin, little eye, sort of like. Um, it's very skink-like, but kind with of skinky a, vibes. Yeah, yeah, longer, pointier more attitude filled face yeah yeah I think the skink do. has a kinder face compared to this guy yeah these guys look like they've got the capacity to be a little mean <laughs> but yeah very quite small legs tucked into the side of the body but um they look like they've got powerful jaws for their size yes and what have they called it they've called it anadia hollandi which is a patronym in honor of jim holland an american olympic skier who enjoys the natural world and the challenges of outdoor exploration because he's contributed generously to the conservation of cloud forests in Colombia, which is undeniably commendable. So, uh, nice one, Jim. So, what else we got about this guy? I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I found it quite funny because I always like it when they put stuff like this in the paper about how they actually found the individuals because sometimes they don't really say. It's just like, come on, take me there. But <laughs> this... Where's my, where's my story? Yeah, I want a story. So all individuals were found near the cloud forest edge. One of them, get this Ben, it was basking on the roof of the reserve's biological station. And a second one was just in an open area of the house. So the audacity of being an undescribed species and just lounging around on the top of a research station. <laughs> I think it's the sad reality of, I mean, not nondescript. I mean, obviously it's descript because it's now described, but. Your word, Ben's words, not mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, well, small brown lizard. Yeah. In a cloud forest, it's going to be lower down on the list to investigate in any great detail, isn't it? Especially when it looks similar to, you know, others. Yeah. One of them was also spotted coming out of a large bromeliad about two meters off the ground. And like you said, if it if it's taxonomically stable, if there's this sort of general feeling that like these guys have been dealt with, mm. and we're pretty confident which species is what, like. I don't know what the right word is, but like momentum and general agreement, it takes a lot more to question that and to put in the work to question it. Because it's not like you're doing it on a whim. Like this, <laughs> these papers take a lot of effort. Yeah, for sure. And just generally what we know about them. Obviously, we don't know much about this species because it's just been described. But um, most of these species, we said they're living in bromeliads. They're generally eating bugs and just sort of hanging around in the bromeliads in the trees and seldom coming down, which does sound quite an appealing lifestyle. A life in the bromeliads. Mm. Indeed. It does sound very appealing. Yeah, cloudy. Have you got any other business for this week? No. No, I don't. No? No. No, cool. I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend Andrea Pozzi because we said goodbye to him this week. He's leaving Bangor. He's finishing his master's degree. He might be back, but I just thought I'd shout him out because um, he's actually the reason we started doing the half an hour episodes initially. It was his idea. He's like, he listens to every episode. <laughs> so if you hate and him, you can blame him. <laughs> yeah, if you hate him, blame Andrea. But yeah, he's like always giving us amazing feedback and it's really good. Like, it's nice to have someone who's like listening with a critical ear and kind of giving us feedback. So big up, Andrea. Yeah. Cheers, mate. And uh, that's it from me. So I think... 
All that remains to be said is if you want to get in touch, you can, herphighlights at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at herphighlights, or you can find us as individuals on there. Just search our names. And if we've got anything wrong or you've just heard us say something about bromeliad lizards, which is just like completely bonkers, let us know. Get in touch. Similarly, if you've got any questions, anything like that, we're always happy to receive them. So, um, yeah, thanks very much. And thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>